Good morning again. I changed. Uh, great to see everyone today. I wanted to let you know that uh, my family, my wife Heather and I, have had a very big event in the last three months. A lot of you may know about this. Uh, but we had our first child, a little girl, which is exciting. Wanted to, to show her off a little bit. Here's Harper. Yeah, just let's look at her for a minute. She's beautiful. Yes, she's a wonderful blessing. She's three and a half months old. And so now I've got the women locked in, right? Guys, I, th- I thought you'd be proud. I've already dressed her up in some uh, football gear watching the games with me, as you can see. Yep, awesome. It's one of those things where she has no choice who she's going to pull for. Happened to me, so I just pass it along. Um, but man, this, this whole thing about being a, a parent, it's kind of hard. It's pretty difficult. Uh, it's, it's an incredible blessing, but uh, there's some challenges that I didn't anticipate in being a parent. And one of those was this, this whole thing about dads and their roles at the very beginning. You know, women, they've got some more things to offer the baby that they need that I don't, you know. Um, and I, I'll tell you, my wife's been praying for God to create a miracle in my body to produce milk. I'm, I'm serious. It's not a joke. Even yesterday, I asked, I always ask, how can I help? You know, how can I support? And I asked her that yesterday, and she goes, start lactating. (laughs) So what she doesn't know is, I'm dead serious. What she doesn't know is, I've been praying against that, because that's really weird, you know? (laughs) And I'm sorry to give you that visual. I know it's strange, but anyway, so I think when when men are faced with a challenge like that, we just want to step up and we want to do something about it, you know? We want to make it work. We want to make it happen. So a month in to my parenting, I told Heather, I'm going to take Harper to Publix one-on-one, just me and her, for the very first time. You know where this is going, right? So I do. I, I talk her into it. She's excited. We get our first time together. And I take her in her car seat and I put her in the shopping cart facing me and I'm rocking her away, just keeping her calm, right? So leading up to this, all, the whole way there, the one fear I had in my mind was being that parent out at a public place that can't control their children. You know what I mean? You know, just I had this fear of being judged by all these people in public, and probably some of you guys that know me, not being able to, to handle my child and she's crying and, you know, I just can't contain her. I didn't want to be that guy. I didn't want to be that dad. And so I was... Man, I was so sure I was going to make this work, all right? So I go, and I only needed three items. You'd think it'd be pretty simple and quick, right? And the first two were a breeze. Found it easily. Harper's nice and, you know, she's, she's content. And then she starts to get a little restless. And she starts to make those movements. She doesn't know what she's doing with her arms, you know. And she starts to get a little restless. And I'm looking, I'm like, it's the calm before the storm. <laughs> it's about to get ugly here, all right? And so I was determined I'm going to make this happen. I'm going to make this work. And, and I'm, but I, I kind of pick up the pace. I see what she's doing, and I start going a little quicker around. It's like rocking a little harder now, you know. And uh, I can't find the third item. I just can't find it. I don't do the grocery shopping, so I can't find it. And she starts to cry, and she starts to get loud. And so at this point, I'm like, I'm thinking, man, all these people are looking at me. I'm going to be judged. They're going to think I'm this horrible dad. I can't do this, you know. So my first instinct, don't judge me, 
is to take her in the car seat out of the, out of the shopping cart. And while I'm still wheeling away through the aisles looking for this item, I start swaying her back and forth, trying to make sure to calm down, you know, because apparently babies like movement. So I thought that would be appropriate. And I've got these people looking at me like, what is that guy doing with this child, right? But I just remember leading up to that, I had this fear of being judged. And it may sound silly, but I wanted to be that good dad. I wanted to start off right in our first one-on-one time. But, but I wonder for some of us, how many of you have felt like you're in a room or an environment and you've just felt like all the eyes are on you and you, you feel that sense of judgment from people? Maybe some of us, it's personal. We've, we've had that with our parents and we dread that, that phone call, a Sunday afternoon catch-up, and they keep bringing up your past mistakes, talking about things you did a long time ago as a kid, or things, your, your career path, or what you do with your children. Maybe some of us feel that all the time. Or maybe some of you just cannot stand family reunions, because you know you're going to have to compare your kids, compare your salaries and your jobs with all these relatives you never talked to, and, and you feel like there's this sense of judgment coming on you. I'm sure some of us feel it at work with our bosses. We never live up to the standard. And they're always wanting more from you, and you feel like you're just not good enough at what you're doing. You don't get encouragement. Or even with your coworkers, maybe you're doing too good of a job, and they're trying to bring you down. I would guess a room this size, a lot of people in this room have felt that sense of judgment walking into a Christian environment. Maybe some of you have felt like at one point you can't even go into a church because you're not going to live up to that moral standard or that code that everyone's trying to live by. You just feel that, that judgment coming on you. I would, I would guess that most of us have felt something like that in some environment in our lives. We felt all the eyes on us and people are looking down on us and judging us for some reason. Well, today, as we continue along in our series, we find ourselves in John chapter 8, if you want to follow along. And most people know this story because of the sin that's associated with it. They call it the adulterous woman or the woman caught in adultery. And isn't it convenient that our pastors pass that along to the youth minister today? Let me take, take care of that one. No, it, it just worked out that way, but it's funny. Um, but see, I'm not even going to really focus on this sin that this woman is caught up in. Because when I read the story, there seems to be something much bigger that Jesus is trying to get us to see. Something more meaningful. Something a little bit more powerful than focusing on the sin of this woman. So just to set the scene for you, what we have is Jesus, who's now a, a very well-known figure in the Jewish culture. And what he's doing is he's sitting down in the temple. It's kind of like a church service. And he's opening up the scriptures and he's going to teach to these people. Then what happens is he gets interrupted. What happens is these Pharisees, they bring in this woman who's been caught in adultery and they bring her into the temple where all these people are learning about the word of God. And she's thrust into this environment filled with judgment. We pick it up in verse 3. It says, the teachers of the law and the Pharisees, they brought a woman caught in adultery, and they made her stand before the group. And I want to stop there real quick, and I just want you to, to imagine what that must have felt like for this woman. It's like she's literally been taken out of our home, brought through the streets, kicking and screaming, thrust into the temple, 
thrown up onto a stage in front of all these people because of her sin. I mean, can you just imagine the, the feeling of embarrassment and the shame that this woman must have felt in the way they handled this? They're just dragging her into this situation. And it's, it's really no coincidence that the woman's come to Jesus, that the Pharisees brought her there. It's because the Pharisees absolutely hate, and they don't understand why does Jesus spend so much time with sinners? If he's this, this son of God, why is he teaching and eating with all these sinful people? And so the Pharisees' goal is to bring this woman who's been caught in the act of adultery, to bring her before Jesus, because they want to see what is he going to do with her. What is his judgment going to be on this woman who we know is a sinful woman? So that's where we find ourselves. And we go to verse 4. And they said to Jesus, Teacher, this woman was literally caught in the act of adultery. And in the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. Now what do you say? Which is the key question in this verse. What do you say, Jesus? In verse 6, they were using this question as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing the woman. So these Pharisees are so quick to bring this woman into judgment. And they're using her to catch Jesus in some type of sin. But if you notice, there's a, there's a few problems with how the Pharisees are doing this. Some of you, when you, you heard this story, you're wondering, where's the guy caught in adultery? Right? I'm sure some of the women were like, that's my first question. <laughs> where's the guy caught in adultery? Because the Pharisees are right. The law in, in Leviticus and in Deuteronomy says, both parties caught in adultery are to be stoned. And so it's as if the Pharisees have just plucked this woman out. They've singled her out. And they're using her as like a chess piece to catch Jesus in a sin. It's like they look at her like she's completely worthless. And she's being used against Jesus in this way. Now some scholars even say that this is so out of the the normal because even the religious leaders and the Pharisees, have been caught giving themselves into the sin of adultery. It's become so common and normal in the Jewish culture under the Romans that for them to single out this one woman makes no sense because no one is executing that judgment because so many people have been caught in it. So you can just feel that they've, they've singled out this woman in an attempt to catch Jesus. Now, it's safe to say that some of us have been caught in this whole idea of passing judgment on people. And I don't know if you're like me, but for the past month from 7 o'clock to 10 p.m., I've been judging the Tampa Bay Rays every single night. I mean, I'm, I'm spending so much time watching them and they can't win a game and it's frustrating. I'm judging the manager, the players, these multimillionaires. Win a game. Make me use my time wisely, right? You throw that onto it, the Tampa Bay Bucks. Oh, sore subject. You see, we're all judging, right? (laughs) We're all unhappy with it. And maybe you're like me. Sometimes, back to Publix, you get caught looking at the magazines in the checkout counter, judging the celebrities for what they've done and all the gossip. And I'm ashamed, but I do that. I don't know why. But it's just intriguing, I guess. But see, in in our culture, we're so quick to be caught up in judging other people. It's almost a part of who we are. It's, It's a natural thing that we do. But so Jesus is faced with the same dilemma. What is he going to do in judgment with this woman? He's got two choices, really. See, either Jesus says, well, yes, we are to 
execute judgment on this woman for her adultery, her sins, and that we, we put her to death because of it, the law says it, that would mean that Jesus is going against the Roman rule. He'd be going against Caesar because the Romans said you can't execute judgment while you're under us. And so they would turn Jesus in to be arrested and he wouldn't be able to do his ministry if they did. That's the Pharisees thinking. On the whole other end of the spectrum, if Jesus says, well, no, we're not to execute judgment, now Jesus is going against the law of Moses. And now Jesus is going against the law of God. And so then the Pharisees can say, well, aren't you the son of God? Don't you believe in this law? So they think they've got him in a dilemma. Now we know Jesus is all about the law. And he told us in Matthew 5, verse 17, he says, Do not think that I've come to abolish the law or the prophets. I've not come to abolish them, but I've come to fulfill them. And so Jesus, is, he's all about this idea of truth. He's all about the law of God and living the way God intended us. But here's what he's going to teach us in this story with this woman. See, what Jesus does is he masterfully combines truth with grace. He combines the truth of God's word with the grace of God. So I want you to see how he responds to these Pharisees. It says, but Jesus bent down and he, and he started to write on the ground with his finger. Now, why would he do that? Some people think he's, he's kind of ignoring the Pharisees because he knows what they're trying to do. Some people think he's... Uh, putting himself to be like God because when God wrote the Ten Commandments, he used his finger when he gave them to Moses. And so he's, he's looking as if he's like God. And he continues in verse 7, when they kept on questioning him, he straightens up and he said to them, let any one of you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. And again, he stooped down and he wrote on the ground. You see what Jesus does and how he answers these Pharisees he says, stop looking at the woman and stop looking at me. And he says, take a look in the mirror. Take a look at yourself and take a look at your own life. The word for sin that he uses in the Greek doesn't even mean acting out sin. It means having the desire to sin. So Jesus says, if you can even say that you don't even have a desire in your heart to sin, then you can cast the stone. And what Jesus does is he establishes with these men, this group of people that is full of judgment on this woman. He shows that they have no authority to judge because they also have sin. And he puts them on this equal playing field, so to speak. Now, as I read this, this chapter leading up to today over and over, I continued to, to find myself identifying with the Pharisees. I think it's easy for us to identify with the woman and feeling judged, and feeling like people look down upon us, I kept feeling like the Pharisees. Because I think in, in our culture, in our lives, we're so quick to cast the stones at people. We're so quick to put them down and to kind of belittle them under us so that we can feel uplifted about ourselves. And, you know, and you, there's some gray area with that. We know there's right and wrong, but I'm talking about how we deal with people in our everyday lives. How often... Do we cast the stone at people right away? I mean, how often do we notice the speck in their eye and miss the plank in our own eyes? You see, maybe for some of us, we, we get caught judging our kids for their grades, for who they hang out with, for what decisions they're making and all that. Maybe some of us judge our own coworkers 
who we don't think lives the way they should or, or talks the way they're supposed to or we judge our bosses. I mean, we get so caught up in judging people. And what Jesus does, even before we get to chapter 8 with this woman, in chapter 5, he establishes who has the actual authority to execute judgment. And in verse 26, it says, For the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son also to have life in himself. Then it says, And he has given him authority to judge, because he is the Son of Man. See, way back in chapter 5, before we even get to this woman, God has already established Jesus as the authority on judgment. He is the one that can execute judgment. And why? He's the only one in the room who has no sin. So he is the only one capable of casting the first stone at this woman. So he responds in a way the Pharisees weren't expecting. And look how they react. In verse 9, it says at this, Those who heard, they began to go away one at a time. The room empties. The older ones first until only Jesus was left with the woman still standing there. See, Jesus dismisses this jury because they don't have the capability of giving a proper judgment on this woman. And so you can picture this. They came as a group pulling this woman from the streets into the temple to be judged. And they left the room incredibly convicted as individuals. Jesus just says, look in the mirror. And what he does, he says, we're all equal because we all have sin. And notice, Jesus doesn't even mention the idea of adultery and what kind of sin and how bad it is in the law and all that stuff doesn't even mention it. What he says is that every single one of you in the room, you all have sin. Can you cast the stone? So the room empties. You can imagine they're just walking out convicted. And what we're left with in this story is incredible. You have Jesus, the ultimate authority in giving judgment, and this woman, face to face, eye to eye, left in the temple, left in the room. And look at how Jesus treats her. In verse 10, it says, Jesus straightened up and he asked her, Woman, where are they? Take a look around. Where are the people condemning you? He says, Has no one condemned you? And look at her answer. It's the only words this woman says in the whole story. No one, sir. He says, Jesus says, Then neither do I condemn you. Go now and leave your life of sin. These men brought this woman in to be judged and to be condemned and to be looked down upon because of her sin. And she comes across Jesus and he gives her mercy and he gives her grace and he gives her love and compassion and forgiveness. Jesus does the total opposite than what these men wanted to do. He doesn't cast her aside as worthless because of her sin. He gives her grace and he gives her love Because he has a purpose. His whole purpose is to restore this woman. He's trying to put the pieces back together. This world has has condemned her and cast her aside. Jesus says, I love you. And I'm going to restore you. It doesn't matter the mistakes you've made. Go and live a better life. Reminding me of a a verse, Jesus' words in Proverbs 16. It says, gracious words are a honeycomb, sweet to the soul 
healing to the bones. Can you imagine the relief this woman felt? She's standing in front of the only person that can actually judge her properly, and he forgives her. Can you imagine what type of impact that made on this woman? He doesn't condemn the woman. He shows her grace. Can can you think of a time in your life when you deserve punishment, you deserve judgment, you deserve to be condemned, but someone decided to forgive you? Someone decided to love you instead? I mean, it makes all the difference. And we see this in John chapter 3, verse 17. It says, For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. You see, Jesus doesn't condemn the woman. He loves her so she can live a better life. But he also doesn't condone the sin. He's not saying that the sin and the mistakes you've made is okay. But what he says is, I'm going to forgive you of that so you can move forward in your life to live a better life. So that you can live a life of meaning and a life of purpose. We're going to put the pieces back together so that you can be restored from your sin. I don't condemn you. But I love you and I give you grace. Jesus is all about loving sinners. It says in the Bible, he came for sinners, not the righteous. It's the sick who need a doctor, not the the ones who are well. So Jesus is going around, he's restoring these people. The reason is Jesus, the one who has authority to judge, the only one that could have cast judgment on this woman properly, he says, I take your judgment onto myself. I take it off of you and I put it onto me so that you can be restored. He does it in those simple words. See, his grace made this incredible impact in this woman's life. You can imagine it changed everything for her. And I believe it's because it wasn't expected. She walked into the room being dragged by these men, dragged to be judged and condemned. And her life was literally on the line two minutes earlier. Then she met Jesus. And then she met his love. And then she met his grace. Everything changed. Everything. When I was finishing up uh, my time at Publix with Harper, and it didn't go as well as, it, as it, I thought it should, I'm swaying her back and forth. Those visions are in my head. I'm on the way home, and I feel kind of defeated. You know, I feel like I didn't step up as a father and people looking at me like I wasn't doing a good job and all that stuff. And I remember walking in the door and Harper's still kind of crying and Heather picks her up and of course she stops crying just like that, you know. And I just explained to Heather what had happened and, you know, it didn't go the way I wanted. And I didn't know what to expect from Heather. I didn't know how she was going to react to it, but I felt defeated. I remember she looked at me and she said these simple words, Griffin, you are a good daddy. You're a good daddy. There was no judgment. There was no condemnation. She gave me words filled with grace. Changed everything. Changed my whole outlook on the situation. You see, today for us, if we choose to accept this, this idea of grace that Jesus has given us, even though he has the authority to pass judgment on every single one of us, because all of us in the room have sin. If we accept that he's taken that judgment onto himself when he died on the cross for our sins, 
we get to hear those same words that this woman felt when her life was on the line, then neither do I condemn you. This woman came into the room filled with judgment from the world and she met Jesus and she left the room filled with grace, restored with the opportunity to live by the truth of God's word, to live a life of meaning, of significance because Jesus treated her with grace. We're going to close today. I'm going to, I'm going to just ask you to stand with me before we head out. I'm going to invite the prayer partners forward. And maybe you're in the room today and you, you haven't accepted that idea of grace that Jesus has, has poured into you. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And maybe you walked into the room and you're, you've been filled with judgment. Maybe you've been casting the stones at people. Church, we have the opportunity to walk out of the room today filled with the grace of Jesus Christ. He says, all we have to do is accept it. I've taken the judgment off of you and I've taken it onto myself. So if you want to accept that grace into your life today, we have our prayer partners here. This is a no judgment zone. They just want to hear from you. They want to encourage you. They want to help you process that. Maybe you just have a prayer request, something going on with you or your family. We'd love to pray for you and walk out of the room filled with his grace. Let's pray together. Father, it is incredible to know, Father, that when we meet you and we accept your grace into our life, when we accept the forgiveness of our sins, God, when even this world may look at us as as worthless because of our sin, God, one encounter with you and we learn that you do not condemn us. You love us. And you have poured your grace into our lives. Father, for that, we are thankful. God, and I pray that we live restored as we accept that and living by your truth. God, doing your will in this life. Father, we praise you and we love you in Jesus' name. Amen.